1: Everybody, to another episode of the Sectarian Review Podcast. As always, I am Danny Anderson uh standing in as your host for the show uh today we have a very special episode though um i am joined by my brilliant wife uh kim anderson who has uh, if you don't know this about her a uh, a passion for the environment uh, and so kim the other day or a couple weeks ago came up with the idea that we should have an earth day special uh for your show and i think this is a wonderful idea and uh and so i asked her to give me some ideas and she reminded me of this this organization called the story of stuff um, which we mentioned kind of at uh, some length during, if you go back to, I think it's our 42nd episode about minimalism, uh, we kind of referenced the story of stuff kind of at length then. And so Kristen Filippic, our intrepid press liaison, she reached out to the organization and joining us today will be Brett Chamberlain uh, from the story of stuff. Jet Brett, how are you? I'm doing well. Danny and Kim, thank you so much
0: for having me. I'm really excited to join you and to, to talk with you and your community.
1: I'm uh, very excited that you took us up on us on our offer. Um, uh, Brett, do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself and then I'll kind of turn the show kind of over to Kim. This is her, her baby. Sure. I'd be happy to. So um, I'm
0: the community engagement manager at the Story of Stuff Project. We are an environmental nonprofit based in Berkeley, California, focused on changing the way that we make, use, and throw away all the stuff in our world so that it's better for people and for the planet. I'm originally from the East Coast, from New England. I grew up in New Hampshire, went to college in New York City, and I've been a a lifelong activist and organizer. Um, And my connection to consumerism and anti-waste work started when uh, I identified that uh, as a a real core place that we could start addressing so many of the other um, problems in our world. I think that if we can use less stuff and have a more harmonious relationship with our planet, uh, we can have more harmonious relationships with ourselves and with each other following from
1: there. Beautifully said. Um, Kim, uh, I want to kind of turn it over to you. My wife, Kim, has a a wonderful um, passion for the environment. I just want to give her a chance to talk a little bit about um, where she's coming into this conversation from. Uh,
2: Yeah, just to give a little bit of my background in terms of how I came to it. um, I cared about the environment. I think I heard about it in high school, Um, had some friends that cared about the environment and cared about it before I became a Christian. This is a, you know, Loosely affiliated with Christianity podcasts. And, um, then once I became, well, Dan can maybe chime in there and correct me on, on, <laughs> um,
1: sometimes we're looser, sometimes we're tighter. <laughs> <laughs> um,
2: but, um, when I became a Christian, then I was kind of miffed by the fact that I think a lot of Christians, um, I, I think Christians should be leading the way in terms of their care for the environment. Um, you know, given the, the basic belief that God created the earth. And, um, so it's something that, you know, as I've, you know, with my faith, I've become, um, you know, an advocate for the environment as a Christian. And, um, sometimes I feel a little bit of a tension with my fellow Christians. And so, um, as I've gotten more pushback, I've become more of an environmentalist because of that. So that's kind of where I'm coming from in terms of, of um this and I found out about the story of stuff last year I was going to um, take care of my dad who has Alzheimer's for a couple of weeks and I was looking for a book to read and walked by and saw the story of stuff book and then found out about the the uh, videos and the podcasts and things like that um so it's been about nine months for me and and just became really fascinated by the the story and the facts and the research behind it so. Um, that's kind of how I became came to know about the story of stuff.
1: Yeah, and if you go to our website, sectarianreviewpodcast.com, uh, I'll put on the show notes for the show links to all the story of stuff materials. It is a really great multimedia resource that takes pretty high-level scientific research and, and economic research and, and, and theory and distills it into a really – uh understandable kind of discourse and i i really do appreciate that about it it is meant for the the masses this isn't sort of a, a an elite kind of discourse that you're you're having brett so um can you uh let's just kind of get into this how is it that you uh, got involved uh with the story of stuff and if you want to talk a little bit more i know that you deal something with like catalogs and junk mail
0: sure yeah so um Uh, That's one aspect of my job is managing a platform that the Story of Stuff Project operates called Catalog Choice, which is a free service for opting out of unwanted catalogs and other forms of junk mail, which are a really pervasive form of paper waste. Uh, 11 billion catalogs are delivered in the U.S. every year. The average American receives about 44 pounds of junk mail, (laughs) um, the majority of which goes right into the recycling bin without ever being read. And, of course, all that paper production, transportation, recycling takes an enormous amount of energy, uh, of water, and, of course, of trees. So it's a great opportunity to uh, help people uh, put a stop to a a really problematic um, source of waste. Um, So that's one aspect of my work with the Story of Stuff project. But I also just provide support for a variety of our other campaigns, uh, with our main focuses being on protecting public water sources from private extraction by companies like Nestle Mm -hmm. and on fighting plastic pollution. Uh, which is of course a, an enormous and growing problem all around the world uh, causing lots of uh, consequences for for human health and for the environment um personally how i came to this work and i'll be brief here as as i mentioned i'm i'm you know an activist all, since my high school days and um throughout high school and college was really struggling to identify which of the variety of issues um, that seemed so pervasive in our world was the one that i wanted to really throw myself at there's so many questions of social environmental and economic justice that that demand solutions that demand interventions and yet i was having real trouble figuring out where to focus um and when i stumbled on the story of stuff actually i I saw the video myself um likely in, in college um it tied together this story all these different threads um how people interact with each other as, as labor how we interact with our world in terms of the extraction of resources the production of consumer goods the pollution that, that releases the consumer madness that drives our, our consumer economy uh, really tied together all these disparate issues and, and provided me with with what I saw as an opportunity to take an intervention um, uh, with one of the, the prime movers I think of so many of the problems we face so I really do believe that by you know reducing the the volume of stuff that we uh, consume, Uh, and the impact of that stuff on the planet, we can go a long way towards solving a lot of other
1: problems. Yeah. Um, I'm going to turn the next first question over to Kim one second, though. I I did watch that Nestle video. Um, It's on the storyofstuff.org website. Uh, And it is a a really good example of what you're talking about. You have sort of this economic entity who's kind of taking advantage of public land. uh, And bottling in plastic bottles um <laughs> what used to be freely available water right uh for for public use and and there's a, a really interesting intersection of a number of social justice issues uh, coming together in that one place and i found that video really fascinating
2: and that's the video called um i believe this land is our land is that what it's called
0: Yes, yeah, so there's a couple of videos um, relating to a few different Nestle extraction sites. Our particular focus has been o- over the last uh, four or five years have been on, on three sites. Um, one being a town in Oregon where they were pushing back against Nestle's um, efforts to uh, come in and extract their water and b- build a bottling plant. Uh, there's also a site in the San Bernardino National Forest where Nestle extracts millions of gallons of year on an ex- uh, millions of gallons per year. On an expired permit mm-hmm. um that video is is uh this land is our land okay um and then finally we uh, just released a, a new video uh, called a tale of two cities and it's about a nestle extraction site in the town of everett michigan which is about 130 miles from flint and there the state allows nestle to again extract millions of gallons of water per year nestle pays only a 200 permit fee so they get the, the water itself for basically for free they just pay a, a wealthy um, and so the, the state of Michigan is giving away water to a multinational corporation for free um, while it can't provide clean, safe drinking water for its own residents. Wow.
2: Those are um, loaded issues. Um, <laughs> so, um, to- Diving right into the deep end there. Sorry. No, no it's great. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> That's why
1: we're showing this. We're, we're releasing this just before Earth Day. Yeah.
2: So. Um, and I, I... I feel like we could probably talk about that for hours, and you know, you know, water should be free. And um, to to kind of bring it to a personal level, my daughter is a runner, and and um, our whole life we've talked about recycling even before she could recycle. She 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 used to say cycling. I want to cycle my bottle and things like that. <laughs> um, and recently, she asked me if she could if we could buy her bottled water, and I just like looked at her with a you know my mouth dropped and you know like what have i been teaching you our entire lives um (laughs) it's just kind of funny how you know you know sometimes the people closest to you you know you you just kind of are working for something and then <laughs> and then because everybody around you is drinking out of plastic water bottles they think that that's <laughs> the way that it should be but right um anyway um well so the first question that we had on our list of prepared questions was um how stuff and the environment intersect um you know because this is in honor of Earth Day. I think this is something that we kind of, you know, again, things that we take for granted. I think, you know, as Americans, we are, it alludes to in the video, um, the, the main video, the story of stuff, it alludes to, we're a consumer society. And the she talks about the, the golden arrow where our main role is to, to buy things and to be consumers. And, um, you know, how do those two things intersect? Um, you know, the stuff that we buy and, and our impact on the environment? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely.
0: So um, for a long time, there's been a really interesting challenge within the environmental space where there's a somewhat of a limitation of talking about the environment as in, in those terms, because it really separates it from from human society. But really, we could ask, you know, where does the environment end and where where do we begin? Mm-hmm. Uh, and truly, we are a part of nature. And as Rachel Carson, uh, author of Silent Spring, uh, um, one of the first environmental movers really back in the 60s, um, said, you know, man is a part of nature in, in so far as he fights a war on nature, he fights a war on himself. So everything that we're doing to the planet, we're really doing to ourselves. So um as you mentioned, the Story of Stuff Project tells the story of the consumer economy. So all the stuff that we that we buy, that we use, that we throw away, from our clothing to our electronics. Um and that economy is a linear system. It moves in one direction. So all of our stuff starts as, as natural resources, as trees or or clean water or um rare metals buried under the ground. And we extract those resources uh and then we turn them into consumer goods at factories. Um those Goods then get distributed all across the world, packaged in plastic and put on the shelves of big box stores. Um, Then consumers purchase them, Uh, we interact with them, we consume them, we use them. Uh, And then when we get done with them, when we use them up, we get bored or they break, um, we throw them away. And from there, many uh, of the things that we use end up in landfills where they get buried under the ground and and left there um, for, for centuries. Now, the problem with the system is that it moves in one direction, right? It's extraction, production, consumption, disposal. But of course, we only have one planet, and there's a limit to the amount of stuff on that planet, the amount of clean water, the rate at which we can grow new trees, the amount of rare earth metals that we can extract. And once we use up some of those things, um, well, we're going to start running into some serious problems. Uh, And not only that, that system itself is not designed in a way to interact harmoniously with people and the planet. So... um, Rare Earth uh, extraction of metals, for example, um, it requires enormous amounts of of human labor in very dangerous conditions, uh, and chemicals, for example, cyanide is used to, to prepare gold during gold processing.
2: Mm.
0: Um, so this whole system um, is interacting with the, the planet in consequential ways, and it's interacting with people, because people fill this system and they make it run. So you may have um, poor people in the developing world working in dangerous conditions in mind to extract metals. Um, when you get to the big box store where the items are sold, you've got low-paid workers without benefits. Um, when we consume these objects, uh, many of them contain toxic chemicals that interact with our body. So this linear system is fundamentally unsustainable. And at every step of the way, um, there's some real dangerous implications uh, for human health and for environmental health
2: and you know so so hearing that and becoming aware of that then it can you can start to become overwhelmed and and uh you know maybe a little scared um you know i think i feel like there's only so much you, you they then i think become start to feel like there's only so much that we can do, and almost feel a little paralyzed. Um, what efforts do you think that we can make as individuals or as a society where we can have the most impact? Um, what are some simple things that we can do as a household to to reduce our impact on on the system?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, um, definitely, this is a, a really all encompassing system. And it can feel like a really challenging issue, because it's so deeply ingrained into our t- culture and lives. But um, we've seen all throughout human history that when people work together and stand behind a big, bold idea, we can fundamentally change the way that societies operate, um, you know, to a degree, that's perhaps the story of, of the, the Christian religion. Um, and so I think that that's something that we can do again today. Um, now what actions do we need to take to make that happen? Um, you mentioned one fantastic, um, first step and that is, uh, minimalism, right? Just stop buying as much stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the uh, advocates of our current consumer economy have been very clever in their appropriation of certain sustainability um, tactics um, to the extent that there's a whole class of products marketed as, as green products. Mm-hmm. And these sell the illusion that we can simply shop our way to a sustainable future right? by buying cool new tech gadgets. Uh, really, that's an illusion. Um, right. Every item that we consume has this upstream um uh, uh Upstream meaning all before it reached your hands, right? All the um, CO two put out from shipping it around the world, all the uh, leftover stuff from its uh, production. Um, so consumption, consuming more stuff, even if it's green stuff, is is really not the solution. So the best way to just reduce one's impact on the planet is to, is to buy less stuff. If you don't need it, don't buy it. Um, now the next step is to Work to take actions to change the system. Now, the system can be, you know, the way that you do things in your household. It can be the way that you do things in your community, perhaps at your church or at your place of work. Um, And the system can be your county, uh, state, uh, or even your federal government. Um, What are some of the actions that we can take together uh, to make those changes? Um, Well, you can start by identifying uh, problematic uh, products, for example, um, maybe your church has a, um, a crates of bottled water in the back of the service because it gets, it gets hot in there. Um, maybe you could speak with somebody about uh, acquiring a, like a water bubbler and compostable cups so that people can just uh, fill up their cup there. Um, uh, maybe you can call your representative and ask them to support um, stricter legislation um, around toxins in our, in our products. Uh, maybe you can contact a company if you see a product that's particularly problematic and ask that they could reconsider releasing it. Uh, so the real step is, is is not just a question of uh, I, will, I personally will no longer drink bottled water, um, but how can you help um, scale up your impact and, and extend the solution that you've identified for yourself to everyone in your community?
1: Yeah, I want to kind of follow up on that. I, I, one point I find myself making frequently on the show is that we often – Think of these as sort of moral issues, like I'm making an individual an individual consumer choice that is morally better than another individual consumer choice, and yet what that misses is that they're both outcomes of the same structural problem right and and so without addressing a deeper you know ideological and structural problem whatever consumer choices you're going to make is basically a drop in the bucket that may ultimately just serve to make you feel better, which is ultimately maybe even more damaging than uh, if you're sort of consuming uh, unknowingly, you know, uh, than if you're just buying things badly.
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. The the metaphor that Annie uses, uh, Annie Leonard being the founder of the organization and the host of the videos, uh, she's now the executive director of Greenpeace USA. Uh, So the metaphor that Annie uses is that if you find yourself swimming upstream. The, the solution isn't to try and paddle harder. It's to figure out a way to change the direction of the current. And so that's what I think we need to be doing. Instead of struggling and striving to live a perfect, sustainable, zero-waste life, um, which is really a fantasy in a developed you know, world uh, in a country like the United States, for example, um, figure out how we can change the direction of the stream and work together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And so this is ultimately a political issue, right? Um, Kim, before I let you – or allow <laughs> – ask you to read the uh, <laughs> next uh, next question could I uh, play a little clip from uh, the video and uh, where Annie Leonard talks a little bit about the intentional choices that went behind creating the system that we live uh, we, that we live in, um, because I think it's uh, important to us to understand that this isn't just a natural way of life, like uh, this vision of consumerism this, that we all live in didn't just naturally appear, it's the result of intentional decisions, and therefore intentional decisions can reverse it, and so can I play a little bit of that, um, Brett? That's perfect, let's do it. Okay
3: and flow they do, guess what percentage of total materials flow through this system is still in product or use six months after their date of sale in North America? 50%? 20? No. 1%. 1. In other words, 99% of the stuff we harvest, mine, process, transport, 99% of the stuff we run through this system is trashed within six months. Now how can we run a planet with that level of materials throughput? It wasn't always like this. The average US person now consumes twice as much as they did 50 years ago. Ask your grandma. In her day, stewardship and resourcefulness and thrift were valued. So how did this happen? Well, it didn't just happen. It was designed, shortly after World War II, These guys were figuring out how to ramp up the economy. Retailing analyst Victor Lebeau articulated the solution that's become the norm for the whole system. He said, our enormously productive economy demands that we make consumption our way of life, that we convert the buying and use of goods into rituals, that we seek our spiritual satisfaction, our ego satisfaction in consumption. We need things consumed, burned up, replaced, and discarded at an ever accelerating rate. President Eisenhower's Council of Economic Advisors chairman said that the American economy's ultimate purpose is to produce more consumer goods. More consumer goods? Our ultimate purpose? Not provide health.
1: Yeah, I think that that little clip, I think, captures not only the intentionality behind this, but also I think that the religious language that's being used here, the, talking about ritual, and uh, I mean, we, this is sort of a… Uh, kind of a perverted religion <laughs> that we've created, if you will. And so, um, yeah, uh, I don't know if you want to follow up on anything she said in that video, Brett.
0: Well, I think there was a, a really great selection of a, a passage to play. And I'm glad that you did, because I actually have that full quote up in front of me that I, I was going to read here as well. Let me just add one more sentence from that same paragraph. Um, and that is the very meaning and significance of our lives today must be expressed in consumptive terms. So exactly as Annie said, and as you, you drove home there, this is a really a deliberately designed system. And it's it's one that has intended to replace a variety of other social systems. Um, and, and I think that the consumer economy in the U.S. has become incredibly all-encompassing at the expense of so many other important aspects of a, of a fulfilled human life.
1: Absolutely. Kim?
2: Well, and to take that thought one, one step further, when we talked about the film... Uh, minimalism. We reviewed that film a few months ago on a podcast. Um, in in the story of stuff, she talks about how after nine eleven, what Bush said to do was to go out and shop. But right. um, in the seventies, what Carter said to do was to. He um, had a very different. Um, "Quote and what what exactly did he uh, well, say to do?"
1: I'm totally paraphrasing, but it's um, basically, I'm we have to all buckle down <laughs> and actually think of uh, the the collective rather than the individual. I mean, he used other language than that, but I can't imagine a president saying anything like that today.
2: Right, and it's just interesting to think of how our society has changed in the last you know you know 30, 40, 50 years, um, based on how the presidents reacted to you know, a different nothing against Bush, um, but how presidents reacted to a, um, you know, a, a crisis, right? Um, one told us to shop and another told us to, to basically stop shopping and to, to focus inward. Um, so just an interesting anecdote there. Um, Mm -hmm. so another question is on your website, and, and this is kind of a personal question for me. It lists, um, under your characteristics, there's kind of a list of characteristics and under community minded, it says, um, uses the words people of faith. Um, so it lists a, a group of characteristics of, of who the people are that follow your community and it lists, um, people of faith. And, um, I'm just curious, um, you know, what role you see the people of, you have seen people of faith playing, following the story of stuff. And in particular, um, you know, what role you have seen Christians playing. And, and if you think Christians, and I don't know if you're a person of faith, um, what role you think Christians should be playing, if you think they should be playing a, a larger role? Yeah,
0: absolutely. You know, it's, it's a hugely important role. And I'm really excited to talk about this. When the story of stuff movie was first released in 2007, one of our very first collaborative partnerships, was with an organization called uh, Green Faith. Uh, And together with them, we developed a faith-based curriculum for Christian teens. This is a a six-session series um, for use in in Sunday schools or in uh, religious education uh, schools um, to explore the relationship between consumerism, faith, and the health of the planet. Uh, So I would really invite your audience to take a look at that on our website by visiting storyofstuff.org, navigating to the resources drop-down, and Uh clicking learning tools. And you can also find a Jewish faith curriculum and a Baha'i faith curriculum that we just recently added there. Um, so as a result of that partnership, um, people of faith are really core members of our community. And I think that there are three um, reasons that they are so important to us uh, and that the message connects with, with some communities of faith so well. The first is that communities of faith, you know, by definition, are already communities. Uh, and so much of the work that we're trying to do depends on uh, leveraging community power and people taking action together, right? No man is an island, particularly when one is trying to change a big, big problem like you know, the entire materials economy, which is just so all-encompassing. Um, it, it, it demands that people work together. So in um, churches or, or other institutions of faith, you have this preformed, established community People holding space to talk about big ideas, to really explore beliefs and the nature of beliefs, and of course to practice good works um, t- to you know build the type of world that we want to see. So that's the the first reason that I think communities of faith are important. It's in the community aspect. Um, the second is is just a matter of, of history, and that is that we've seen um, communities of faith be incredibly important in the success of a variety of other, you know, big picture, game changing movements like the civil rights movement. So just recognizing that that's how things have worked in the past. We're really, you know, enthusiastic about keeping these uh, communities in, in the fold. And uh, as part of this conversation moving forward. And then finally, um, you know, why is there a role for people of faith? Well, uh, and this is where things certainly, of course, get a little bit more uh, interesting for discussion, is that um, one might argue that there is a, a mandate for it in, in the text of the Bible itself. Now, as, as you mentioned in the intro, I think there are, of course, a couple prevailing schools of thoughts, right? Um, some people, when they read uh, Genesis 126, um, you know, dominion over the fish of the sea, they put a lot of focus on the dominion part. Mm-hmm. Um. Other people prefer to stick with you know earlier Genesis, right? God made the world and it was good, and they say, "Well, it was good. Let's let's not mess it up, right? This is, you know God's creation that's been given to us. Let's let's protect and serve it uh, rather than imagining ourselves you know mini gods over the, over this you know this creation. Instead, we should be stewards."
2: Uh huh.
1: Yeah, and I think following up on that a little bit. I mean, we're ultimately getting to a political issue uh, within the church itself, and I think. Since Trump's election, there's been this big fissure. Um, we always talk about the 81% of evangelical Christians that voted for Trump. But I've I've seen a dissenting voice within Christianity, a politically dissenting voice in a way that I never saw during the George Bush years. Um, and so I do think that it has just been kind of. A, a function of our political system that environmental concern has been a liberal thing and therefore not part of the church's tradition. And, and Kim and I both know people who on earth day will kind of snarkily and sarcastically put on their Facebook statuses, happy dominion day, as you mentioned, right? This, uh, <laughs> and, and I've always, I've always been annoyed by that. And I think that there is a moment that we're living in right now where there is, um kind of the the intersection between faith and politics and that's what we're talking about here is becoming more apparent and when i'm talking about politics i'm not talking about party politics i'm talking about political action like people mm-hmm. organizing together to accomplish a goal right and and so i do feel like we are kind of at a moment i maybe i'm just Uncharacter- uncharacteristically optimistic about this in this moment. But uh, I do feel like we are at a moment where the old kind of divisions are breaking down enough where new coalitions can be made. And, and my hope is that, you know, this conversation is just a drop in that larger bucket.
0: Yeah. You know, I hope so as well. It's, it's all too easy for people on, on any side of the political spectrum, right? Whether they're an evangelical Christian or Baha'i or, you know, a hardcore atheist or a Trump voter or Stein voter um, you, the scope of the problem is so immense that we cannot continue to cling toward to these, you know, tribal divisions. Um, when so many people across so many different, you know, uh, of these false divisions, really do share concerns about, you know, what we're doing to our planet, what we're doing to ourselves, and what we're doing to each other. Mm-hmm. Um, it really demands that we break these fences down and we start looking for alliances in places that may seem. Um, Uh, surprising uh, to us or or intimidating to us. But, you know, in the tension of those dialogues, that's where really great, incredible, game-changing ideas and collaborative communities are born. Yeah.
2: And I'd like to point out, I I used to actually work for Corporate America and um, some of my income actually still comes from um benefits from from the banking industry um and in that role i She's worked in league with the devil <laughs> <laughs> in that role i worked in change management and um i became interested in a a change management model called the adcar model which i think is is really useful because it's simple um and it it talks about um you know every person that goes through change needs to go through five stages of change and the first is the awareness of the need to make the change and i think that you know there are a lot of people that just aren't aware of of you know the need to to make the change and um you know until you're aware of this system i think that that you know some for some people they just have to go through that first step um and then the second is the desire to make the change the third is the knowledge about how to make the change um adk adk Awareness, ability. desire, knowledge, ability. Are you familiar? <laughs> awesome. Um, ability, um, of how to make the change. And then finally is reinforcement. And, um, I think it's a very wonderful model. And I think it definitely applies to, to this system that, that we're a part of and, um, can be used to help people get through this change. And, um, I think the story of stuff is a great, just first of all, helping with the awareness and the desire, but can be a part of the rest of the system as well. So I'm glad to hear that you're aware of that. I, I love ProSci. <laughs> so,
0: Yeah, absolutely. So um, uh, we definitely are, are constantly working to create new opportunities for people to take action um, by providing them inspiration, tools, guidance, uh, and, and community to connect with. Um, so I'm going to make a totally shameless plug here, but we'd really love for your community to connect with us there where they can you know, Continue to grow their awareness by uh, connecting with our, our knowledge resources, um, see inspiration and action opportunities. Um, and they can do that by visiting our website, storyofstuff.org, and mm-hmm. clicking uh, Join Us at the top of the site to sign up for our email list. So that's under the Take Action menu. So take action, join us. Or you can visit our Facebook page, or Story of Stuff on Facebook, um, Story of Stuff on Twitter, and Story of Stuff on Instagram. they can continue to, to stay in the loop about all the work that we're doing. And, and really continue to identify these bold solutions and hopefully bring them back to their own communities.
1: Yeah I read somewhere that uh, you the the videos are uh, uh, what's the the free? <laughs> There's a, a copyright designation.
0: Oh yeah, they're the, all, they're all Creative Commons. so creative um, anyone is welcome to stream them as well. That's a really great um, place to start, or even perhaps is to host a screening at, at your um, you know, at your church or, or somewhere else um, where you can bring your community together. Um, The story of stuff, the original video itself is just about 20 minutes long. And there's a series of other videos, too, examining more specific topics, Um, certain uh, product classes like the story of cosmetics, the story of electronics, uh, or just kind of uh, theories of of how we make change in the world with uh, our our two videos, the story of solutions and the story of change. So those are all real great uh, foundations for conversation. Uh, And so I'd really encourage people to think about, you know, have a viewing party, right? Have a bunch of friends over, screen a couple of the videos and spend an hour or two talking about okay, what's our idea? What are are we going to bring to our community to make change in the world? How are we going to flex our citizen muscles
1: yeah yeah well oh, well Brett I know that uh, we don't want to keep you from your work uh, in <laughs> saving the world here uh, so uh, we thank you for the time that you spent and I also have to go off and teach uh, children of men to my science fiction film class today um, well, sp- of- <laughs> <on my favorites. laughs> it's a-, a astonishingly great movie which after viewing it for this I'm going to have to definitely do a- an episode about that movie because it's-, it's so brilliant uh, and mm-hmm. ultimately I mean we're talking about a future that uh, the environment is a big part of too it's actually an interest it's an interesting intersection with this topic as well. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and so, uh, but before we let you go, is there any sort of last uh, words that you have for us?
0: Well, I'd be remiss if I didn't just hit it on the head one more time. You know, do go ahead and join our community, stay in the loop. We'd really love to connect with you and and have you join the conversation. Um, Check out those uh, learning tools, the faith-based program for Christian teens, at our website, storyofstuff.org. You can join our email list, connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Um, But otherwise, let me just say thank you uh, to both of you for facilitating this conversation. I'm I'm really excited to be um, continuing to uh, discuss uh, how— faith can conserve uh conserve this movement um and just really excited to be to be participating in this conversation so thank you both i
1: thank kim uh
0: yeah, kim.
2: thank you so much thank <laughs> you kim we're excited to have you not you danny
1: <laughs> no 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 I, I'm, I'm i always ask for the audience to give me ideas for shows and my own wife came up came up with this great one for today and and brett thank you so much for uh spending the time with us um and listeners uh as you said as brett said Uh, All the links that he's mentioned, I will put in the show notes uh, of of this episode. If you go to sectarianreviewpodcast.com, you'll find it. Uh, Kim Anderson, thank you uh, for joining me today, my brilliant wife. Uh, And Brett Chamberlain, thank you for uh, spending your time and and, uh, being willing to do this kind of important work that you do.
0: My pleasure. Take care both of you and happy Earth Day, everyone.
2: Thanks, you too.
1: Bye-bye.